All right, we are going to dive in and kick things off. We got a good group on the line and more people will certainly roll in. Welcome everyone to the Mountain Tough Live Q&A. We do these Q&As around once a month to bring you more information, more education, more knowledge so that you all can continue to crush a healthy lifestyle, live an abundant life and continue to focus on being a holistic person and human being. So a lot of our Q&As are focused on that holistic approach. So we are spending a lot of time on um, the physical fitness side of Mountain Tough, but we also dive into a lot of topics such as spiritual, emotional, nutritional health. And of course, Mountain Tough, one of our favorite things to do is dive into mental toughness. Uh, but on tonight's Q&A, we have Dr. Tom Walters. Tom has been a buddy of mine since we were young guys growing up in Billings, Montana. And if you're familiar with Mountain Tough and the app, he has created a lot of amazing programs in the Mountain Tough Plus app. So prehab and rehab joint-specific modules are inside of Mountain Tough Plus. So a lot of you folks may have seen those there as well as a lot of folks may have seen his educational content on Instagram. So we're getting ready to dive in. As we're getting ready right now, a really helpful thing to do is to start adding the questions you have for myself or for Tom tonight. If you all could start typing those questions into the chat feature, that would be awesome. Excuse me. This is always a confusing part of Zoom. You, if you could start top, typing your questions into the Q&A feature. So if you look at the bottom of your screen, whether you're on a laptop or phone, Zoom has two features. One is chat, one is Q&A. We're going to pull questions tonight from Q&A. So don't use that chat at all. Please stay out of that chat room and just start posting your questions that you have prehab or rehab-related, injury-related, recovery-related, into the Q&A board now. So we go through the Q&A board. We're not going to look at that chat board, so please start typing them in the Q&A. We're going to get to as many questions as possible tonight, and then we will always record this episode, and this episode will be released later on in the Mountain Tough podcast. So if you want to come back to this and re-listen to some of the answers or the content we talked about tonight, you can do that here in a week or so on the Mountain Tough podcast, and that'll be available across all podcast stores. So keep an eye out for that. A few other housekeeping items. Everyone comes into these lives uh, on mute. If you could just stay on mute the whole entire time until we call on you to ask your question and repose your question in your own words, that would be awesome. So I'll go through the Q&A board I'll be kind of monitoring the questions, and when I call on you, you can just unmute at that time, and we'll dive into the topic you have tonight. Uh, in any other time, just please stay on mute. That cleans up the background noise on a lot of these lives. That would be super helpful. And so we are going to dive right in. Um, I would like to welcome Tom to the call. It's it's pretty awesome to have Tom. This is our first live that we've done with Tom. Our last one was, was with coach, our head trainer, Sarah, and we dove into one of our new sandbag programs. And then the live before that 
was with Phil Cornerchuk. Phil was the director of minds. He is the director of mindset here at Mountain Tough. So we we handled a lot of mental toughness questions. So if you guys could start posing any questions you have for this evening in that Q and A board, we will start reaching out to you guys and getting some of those answered. Tom, I'm going to hand this first one off to you. Uh, this first question coming in through the Q&A is from Greg. Um, any plans to have age-related fitness program with age-related recovery being given consideration? So, Tom, what I'd like to do here is you, if you could just dive into how you view training and age, and then I will finish up this question on on how we're kind of handling that in the Mountain Tough app. But first, Greg, if you could just unmute and let us know a little more background on your question, that would be awesome. Yeah. Hey, thank you. Uh, so age related, I went to a sheep show a couple of years ago and I noticed there were some athletes in there that were older, like 60 and up, and they weren't able to keep up with the five day a week programming and weren't able to recover adequately to follow that program injury free. So I'm just wondering if there was any plans to have like an age-related uh, mountain hunter programming uh, that would take into account the recovery that somebody who's 60 or older requires. Uh, we can still be probably just as strong in a lot of areas, but our recovery definitely is not what it was when we were younger. For sure. Tom, will you dive into what you're seeing with athletes in their 50s and 60s, and then I'll follow up with what's going on at Mountain Tough? Yeah, I mean, I definitely understand. Thanks for the question, Greg, where he's coming from. I mean, I'm 41 and I don't recover the same as when I was 20. You can definitely see how things change over time. And I think this is a question and um, a topic that comes up often in physical therapy, I think. And it's something we have to be cognizant of when looking at trying to help people kind of remain injury free. And then obviously when they already have pain or some injury going on, figuring out we're, we're always trying to um, keep people in their exercise, you know, back in the day, and you'll still hear this from some doctors and maybe some physical therapists, they'd tell you to completely rest from whatever you're doing. And we really try not to do that anymore. Uh, there's just so much deconditioning and muscle atrophy and things that come from resting, but you do have to be mindful of that volume of loading. You know, it's, we talk about it now in the PT world as sort of load management. And, you know, when you're thinking about, you know, if you've got a five day a week training program and you are having a difficult time recovering, I think you've got to, there has to be a way to, you got to start thinking through playing with variables on how are you going to manage that load on your system so that you can recover. And for some people, that's just having less days of loading. You know, I mean, that's usually the easiest when people come in to see me. If they're doing a five day a week, I might say, Let's try to go to three days and then have some days that are kind of more mobility and recovery based. I don't know with Mountain Tough what that looks like with what's being planned in the future, but that's usually the thing. Usually what gets people into trouble is the volume of loading. If there's just too many days in the week that that's happening as you age, it just becomes harder for people to recover. You can implement, you know, there are different strategies out there recovery wise that you can try and implement to try and push back on that, whether it's you know, there's all kinds of, um, whether you're using like ice and heat, whether it's just kind of general, but probably things you're already doing. Um, usually those, those can help a little bit, but at the end of the day, usually it's some kind of 
it's trying to figure out trying to come up with a little better balance so that your system's not loaded so much otherwise it does just have a hard time it has a hard time getting back to baseline and then you just uh your injury risk increases so that if somebody were coming to the clinic i probably would have them dial back for a little bit on how many days they're working out and then see if you can build that back up gradually but um yeah, Dustin, I don't know how that works with what you guys, how you're programming, or if maybe there would be an option. Maybe that's an idea is like a three day a week or something program or. Yeah. At Mountain Tough, Greg, what we have done, which can easily get missed, honestly, inside of the Mountain Tough app is we we've heard the, the same comment throughout the years, and we have done a lot of work in the last year to address that specific question and that specific issue. And so the one reason it's getting missed is because some of these programs that are out there to solve your question background inside of Mountain Tough aren't specifically called Backcountry Hunter like the other ones you're familiar with. So for years we had Backcountry Hunter postseason strength and we had Backcountry Hunter preseason prep and the in-season and spring. And we heard from so many other mountain hunters and other athletes as well that were more in that 50 to 60 age range that were looking for those two-day and three-day and four-day-a-week options for this exact question related to recovery. So just helpful background on that question is we do have the gym on-ramp program and that one is relatively new. So gym on ramp is two days a week and it is a nice kind of ramp up um, program so that you still have a lot of recovery in your life and in your schedule. And by design, we are asking folks right after they finish gym on ramp to go to gym foundation. So gym on ramp is two weeks, two workouts per week. And then they transition into gym foundation. So Mountain Tough Gym Foundation is going to be four weeks, but you're going to ramp up from two workouts a week to three. So it is kind of taking you through a nice, safe progression. And then we actually just filmed a four-day-a-week strength program. It's going to launch on January 1st, and it's also to solve a little bit of these issues behind your questions so that people can pack on um, the strength they're going to need for the mountains, but they're still getting those two or three recovery days throughout the week. So, so we've seen it a lot, Greg, and we've heard it a lot. I think the only problem that we haven't currently solved specifically is that preseason phase for the mountain hunter that's in their 50s, 60s, or 70s. So that preseason mission specific phase where you're training hard in June, July, August to get ready for September, or if you're training hard to get ready for some of those August British Columbia or Alaska hunts, that best option right now in Mountain Tough is to continue to do preseason prep 2.0, um, but work with us a little bit to modify that program. So our support team does spend a lot of time helping athletes modify that program around some increased recovery. So we will 
connect with you if you're going to go with that preseason 2.0 coming up this spring on more of a three day a week option and we'll kind of help you modify that program to get some of that extra recovery can i say something else on that dustin yeah you know, depending on what Greg has going on, a lot of times, you know, I don't obviously don't know all the details here, but sometimes if it's just a specific body region or tissue, usually you can kind of figure out what's being overloaded. Um, so I don't know, maybe he has a specific thing that he's struggling with in terms of recovery that's staying sore or something like that. A lot of times, you know, you can modify that in a workout. It might be that you can keep the same days of working out, but you just regress or change that area or tissue that's being loaded. So that's usually what's happening in PT is somebody comes in with a, they've got a rotator cuff issue or they've got an Achilles issue and we're, we might keep the volume of all the other movements in their workout, but just figure out a way to regress or dial back the movements that target that sensitive tissue. So there might be a way, um, you know, without knowing all the details, maybe there's some modifications in those programs that can happen too. Awesome. Is it okay to comment right now? Yeah, go ahead, Greg. Yeah, um, appreciate that, Tom. I've used quite a few of your videos uh, for recovery and issues. I, I've been training a long time and have a, a long background of training. I'm 58, and my I guess my question is more for somebody new to Mountain Tough, and they come in there and they jump into you know one of the uh, quarters, the preseason, the spring, or the whatever, and they get discouraged because they get injured and you don't see them anymore. Yep. And I was just thinking it'd be nice if he had maybe something tailored uh, to guys that are, you know, around the age of 60 that they could follow and still be a part of that community. I personally, I tailor it. If I get to a point where I'm, I'm overloading and, and I'm not recovering and anybody that's done this for a long enough time, you know, when you're there and you just take that extra day off and follow a stretching routine or whatnot, that, for some of the other guys, it's, I don't know, it's, I think it might be beneficial if you had a, something specific like that, that could maybe keep them encouraged and keep them, you know, focused and not get into it, get overtrained and then say, this is too much and move on. And then you never see them again. For sure. Yeah. That's, yeah, I couldn't agree. Yeah. That's so true. I think that's a great idea. There's actually a group I work with here and we, I've talked to them about this. You see this in professional sports where they'll actually have sometimes eight weeks prior to season have this anatomical adaptation window, they call it where they kind of are doing what Dustin's talking about. Some of the, you know, like where you're maybe you're doing two days a week and then three days a week and you kind of build up slowly to allow the person's tissue to adapt. And I think it's a great idea because otherwise you're right. People just, they go hard and they get injured and then they just disappear and they don't come back. So yep. it's a great, great point. Awesome. Thanks guys. We're going to transition to the next question. We've had a lot of new folks join, so just one quick reminder, uh, post your questions you have for this evening in the Q&A feature at the bottom of the screen. So we are going through that Q&A message board looking for questions for this evening. And so if you just joined recently, please type your questions there. We will go to Jaden. Jaden, it looks like you have a question around your big toe that's been bothering you for a while but really asking the question of like how do you stay in the mountains and stay working out even though you might have an injury somewhere if you could unmute Jaden and ask your question and give us some more background info that'd be awesome 
Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Dustin. Um, thanks you guys for holding this tonight. Um, I was wondering this recently because I've just like been kept grinding on a toe injury that I got in July. And I just was like, well, how do you not, how do you keep going through season while also trying to treat this like you should be trying to recover it or get it healed up? Um, we're at the end of the season now, so I'm like, okay, well, maybe this just means over the winter I have to do something different. But I just didn't know if you had any, like, input on modifications of, like, things you should or shouldn't do when you've got an injury. Tom, yeah, man, it is it is tricky, right? You guys, like, we, it's like you're, being an in, you're an in-season athlete, you know, and in-season <laughs> athletes are always tough because they're just constantly challenging and loading the area. And it's, you know, it's usually they're – their schedule weighs more towards stressing the tissue versus recovering. And this is always a tricky thing. Like I say with any kind of in-season athlete, um, you know, when you're looking at something, I, I definitely agree with you. Like as the season comes to an end, there's probably things, there's a lot of things you can do for your big toe specifically. Uh, people don't think about it a lot till it's injured, but um, different mobility kind of things. Um, you'll find a lot of people who are stiff in their big toe. There's ways you can kind of mobilize it and stretch it and actually kind of strengthen some of the flexor and extensor muscles for it. I mean, it's such an important joint. It goes through 60 degrees of motion. Just when it hurts, you know, like walking is really difficult. You need that big toe to have its mobility to be able to walk normally. And, um, you know, while you're, when you're, it's a little hard. Some of these questions are always a little bit tricky because I'm not actually testing you and seeing what's going on. And so giving really accurate suggestions on modifications and things is tricky without those you know if somebody came in here i'd evaluate them for an hour and that would give me some data to go off of but you know um big toe wise you know it can be sometimes there's ways you can kind of tape it like i don't know if you've looked up i don't know if you've experimented with like going on youtube and looking at taping strategies for your big toe sometimes protecting it like that if you have to be on it can be um helpful um, you know, it, it's a tricky one though. It's not like when you get into feet, like the feet and toes and you have to be on your feet, it's really hard to, to there. It's really hard to find a modification often. That's really makes you, I mean, this is the same thing happens with like plantar fasciitis. When people have that, it can be really hard to get it to go away if they have to be on their feet all the time. So you play with things like orthotics and different shoes and sometimes if you can just change the stress a little bit on the area it makes a big difference in the pain so you know that might be i don't know how much you've played with that stuff but just experimenting with can i try and change the stress that this tissue is going through and see if that can get me by and so but those are you know like sometimes there's a there's actually an over-the-counter little orthotic we'll have people try. Sometimes it's called super feet. It just slides into your shoes. Sometimes just, it's more of an arch kind of thing, but it might affect your toe. But I would just play with that. Like maybe it's taping, like taping your toe, getting athletic tape and taping it. Um, if you want kind of mobility exercises for big toe, you could always message me on, uh, it's probably easier just on social media. Like if you DM me on Instagram, I can send you, I've done posts on big toe mobility and things like that. So I can send you some things to try. But uh, yeah, man, honestly, you'll probably, once you can let it rest a little bit and then you can work on it, that's probably going to be your best bet. Okay. Sounds good. With those kinds of injuries, do you recommend people try to get in the water or does that like not help necessarily? Yeah, that can be good. I mean, uh, especially if you can, I mean, like 
hot water, like jacuzzi kind of stuff and get in there and work on mobility. A lot of people have uh, stiffness in their big toe joints. So if you can actually mobilize it and loosen it up, that helps a lot of people with their pain. Even uh, massaging and mobilizing the plantar fascia, that tissue on the bottom of your foot, like you've probably seen, you maybe seen techniques where you kind of roll it with like a tennis ball or a golf ball, stuff like that loosening up that whole area all the way up into your calf there's this big kind of fascial connection from your calf muscles to your achilles to your plantar fascia and all that affects your big toe too so yeah that can be um ice and heat both have research for pain so you could try that on your toe uh yeah getting in water and kind of doing stuff i mean it's probably not going to make some magical difference but it might help a little bit cool well i appreciate your time thanks for going in depth with me on that that's cool yeah. Let me know if you, if you need those kind of self-mobilizations, there are ones you can do. They're similar to what, if somebody came in to see us, we would kind of grab the joints and mobilize it. So you, you but you can kind of do them on yourself. So. Okay. I'll hit you up on social media. Thank yeah. you. Yep. Jaden, you're gonna have to buy a hot tub too. And just chill on that thing every night. <laughs> <laughs> Darn it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you better have that toe fixed up before we come see you this winter. We need to just do a, uh, we need to do a group workout while we're in Cody. Yeah, that'd be awesome. All right, let's put it on the calendar. Cool. All right, we're going to transition to the next question. Thanks for that, Jaden. We have had a few new folks join. So just as a reminder, if you have questions related to prehab, rehab injuries tonight, please post them in the Q&A feature. We're kind of working our way through that Q&A message board. We'll try to get to as many questions as we can this evening. So if you have a question for myself or Tom, please type that in the Q&A message board now. We're going to shift to this next question, Tom, and this comes from Gonzalo. Gonzalo, if you could unmute and let us know what's going on. It sounds like you got an IT band syndrome diagnosis and just wondering how to recover and how to make sure it doesn't happen again. Gonzalo, we'll give you a few other. I'm, there we go. Yeah, hi. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you? Doing great. Hey, listen. Um, I was I was hiking the Grand Canyon, uh, rim to rim to rim. Going back, I got uh, hurt uh, on my left, my knee on the outside. Anyway, after getting out, went to the doctor and he said it was an IT band syndrome. He only said it was overused. Uh, so, which yeah, I appreciate, I guess, that, that I, don't, I don't need any injury, I mean, surgery or anything like that. But first off, how do I, I want to do it. That injury, I guess, quote unquote, again, I need to use it, right, to, to prevent that. And then, and then the other thing is, how do I train now that I have this overuse, I guess, diagnosis? Yeah, well, thanks for the question. That one, IT band is a super common uh, cause of pain on the outside of the knee. And you see it a lot in runners and people are doing a lot of hiking. So it makes sense. Um, really, if you're looking at trying to, you know, get rid of IT band, if it's hurting you actively or preventing it from coming back, it really is strengthening that's focused on the lateral chain of your legs here. So it's mostly your hip abductors. So there are exercises we have people do for their gluteus medius and minimus, which are 
two of the three of your gluteal muscles, but their primary function is to stabilize your pelvis and to abduct your legs. So they bring your leg out to the side. But if you're most of us, right, we're standing on our leg. So when you're standing on your leg, they help control your pelvis and femur. And what you'll find sometimes in people who are doing high volume running and hiking is that as they get tired, as those muscles get to start to get tired, their knee will start to kind of cave in a little bit. It's called dynamic knee valgus. And when that happens, it stresses the IT band. And IT band is basically a tendonitis. We call it tendinopathy now, but it's a connective tissue disorder. Your IT band is just a big connective tissue, just like your Achilles tendon and things like that. So it's now kind of grouped into these connective tissue tendinopathy disorders. And the research on tendinopathy, the thing that has the best evidence is gradual strengthening or loading of those structures. So, but you have to be pretty specific. So like a lot of times people will be doing squats and different exercises like that. And that those can be helpful, but you have to do some that are very specific in terms of this lateral movement into hip abduction. Um, and even looking at if you're doing things like single leg squats and things, how well you control your knee and control that femur bone, that thigh bone. So those have the best, um, <clears throat> like I say, those have the best evidence in terms of getting rid of pain and then also preventing it coming back. It is another one of these things. I mean, IT band syndrome, like we were just talking about in the last question, it's a disorder that tends to happen when people are doing something in really high volume. I mean, honestly, that's probably going to be most of the questions in here. Almost everyone I see in the clinic over the age of 30 has an overuse, if you want to call it that, overuse kind of repetitive use injury. The tissue is being repetitive, loaded repetitively at kind of a lower magnitude. And after a while, that can cause, um, can cause pain. Usually it's not something serious, but there is a portion of that that's, you know, again, kind of that load management, like let it calm down. But then the next phase, especially for IT band, is strengthening those lateral structures, strengthening gluteus medius and minimus, working on your neuromuscular control when your weight is on that leg so that you don't have that dynamic valgus where the knee comes in. And I'm trying to remember, Dustin, did we do an IT band syndrome program on Mountain Tough? Well, we got into some of it a little bit. I was just thinking, I was just about to ask you, like, what your favorite glute med exercise, yeah. like your top three go-tos are going <laughs> to be. But I do remember filming some of that content with you and, and doing like those, the fire hydrants and stuff like that. Yeah. Those ones are really good. So I usually have people start one that's a little less functional, but it's really good for targeting that area is sideline hip abduction. So say it's your right leg, you'd lay on your left side and then you lift your right leg kind of up and back to the corner and you'll really feel it in that upper and outer part of your glutes where gluteus medius and minimus are. Um, and then to make things more functional, you want to be standing. And uh, that banded fire hydrant we did when I was out there is really good because the band, you stand on the leg that has IT band syndrome. I mean, actually, you would do both. But really, if you want to target the side that has the problem, you'd stand on it. The band goes around both knees and then it tries. The band wants to pull the knee in. So you have to use gluteus medius and minimus to keep that femur, keep your knee over your toes while you're doing that movement. So that's a great one. And then I'd probably say the third next one is just a single leg squat. Single leg squat research, it's one of the best Sorry. for targeting um, gluteus medius. Most people think of squatting as just gluteus maximus, but because you're on one leg, that is a great exercise because it not only strengthens, but it also teaches you to control that femur. That's what you're trying to think about is, I don't want my knee to dive in when I do these things. Can I try and keep my knee? And a lot of times doing it from a mirror is a good way to go. Like 
I'm going to do these single leg squats in front of a mirror and make sure my knee stays right over my toes and doesn't deviate in. So Tom, are you going to do like yeah. a single leg, like TRX pistol squat or something like that? Yeah, you could. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it can be like a pistol squat. Sometimes we'll have people start with a little bit more of a hip bias squat where they kind of sit back into it almost more like a back squat pattern, but on one leg mm-hmm. where you kind of sit back into your hip a little more, but, um, yeah, like a TRX actually is a good way where you starting out, you can kind of hold like that. Eventually you want to get people where there's not holding on to anything, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just on that single. Leg. I, I, I will use this one a lot called a skater squat where it kind of looks like your butt sticking back and you're, Another way people can do it too is like if you have a step, a lateral step down is a really good exercise for this where you stand up on like a stair. If you have that at your house, you stand on that. You kind of go sideways on the stairs. The leg that's injured goes up on the higher step and then you kind of reach down and touch with your heel on the other side and you really work on it. It's kind of like a short, it's like a mini single leg squat and it's another one where you can build strength and really work on that control. It always seems counterintuitive to people. They're like, this thing hurts. Why would I put more stress on it? But the research has shown that when you gradually stress connective tissues with loading and strengthening exercises, they desensitize huh. and they become more resilient. So I, this is, I know this stuff's kind of abstract and you can't see a video of it. So maybe there's a way, um, you know, if anybody has a question about something specific and they DM me on Instagram, I have posts on all these things and I can send them to you. And it is wild how common the IT band syndrome pops up. It's crazy how common that is. It's the second most common cause of lateral knee pain in runners. So um, in this population with it, what everybody's doing, just with lots of volume of hiking, it's not uh, not odd that it bothers a lot of people. What's the first cause above that? Yeah, it's actually a good question. I don't know. I just know the stats on IT band <laughs> syndrome. It seems like it'd be the first. Yeah. It's probably like a meniscus thing or something. Um, you have your LCL ligament, but not many people hurt that. Yeah, it's a good question. Nobody's ever asked me that. Um I should go find out. Yeah, we got to figure that out. (laughs) I have to Google it tonight now. Awesome. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Gonzalo. Gonzalo is actually working out in the gym right now as he asked that question, which is Hmm. awesome. We are going to transition to the next question. Next question for tonight uh, coming from Justin Peterson. Justin, looks like you have a question around some flat feet and just curious what some baseline prehab rehab exercises could be for a mountain athlete with flat feet if you could unmute let us know what's going on that would be fantastic so uh increasing running uh in postseason strength uh looking to get into border patrol but again regardless how that pans out i've been with mountain rescue for about eight years so just kind of curious about general foot care, but then anything that can specifically help with, you know, flat feet, fallen arches and that type of thing, because they can take a beating on trail for sure. So Justin, do you, do you get pain in your arches or is it just more kind of like trying to take care of it? Really just trying to take care of it. Um, with the running in post season, um, my ankles are a little angry with me, but I'm also not a consistent runner. So that's, that doesn't surprise me terribly. Yeah. Well, it might be reassuring to tell you, I mean, for you to know, there's definitely things you can do. Um, it sometimes is reassuring for people to know that if you were, if you kind of developed a flat feet, it's usually not as big an issue. Um, a lot of these things, the body 
you know, if you, if you developed with it, you just kind of adapt to it. And unfortunately there's a lot of people out there who will make you feel bad that, um, having flat feet, they'll, you know, you'll sort of feel like flat feet is just inevitable that you're going to have problems. But I mean, there's a lot of Olympic marathoners with flat feet. So, uh, the, you know, if you're looking at that, if you do have symptoms with it or you want to, it doesn't hurt to try and, um, work on that area. You won't, the research has kind of shown that when you, even if you strengthen the muscles that control your arch, it won't actually lift your arch. It will make those muscles stronger, but exercise doesn't really change our static postural alignment. Um, you know, so arch type is people who it, it has to do with the muscles in your foot, but also the ligaments. And so even if you do all the strengthening in the world, it's not going to shorten those ligaments and pull your arch up, but you definitely can strengthen them. You're, um, there's a bunch of layers of muscles in the arch of your foot. And so we do use a lot of these exercises and people who have arch pain. Sometimes you'll actually see people that develop a condition called, um, tibialis posterior tendon dysfunction where their tibialis posterior, this muscle, it's tendon actually kind of lengthens and deteriorates and their arch gradually collapses in like when the middle age, those individuals, mm-hmm. that's a different situation because they had a higher arch and then it slowly flattened when they were older. So, but if you were just born with it and just kind of developed with a flat arch, usually it's not as big a deal, but, um, yeah, there are exercises you can do. There's different kind of, um, there's a, these kind of arch training exercises. There's one called a short foot exercise. It's almost like doing an abdominal crunch for your foot. So you, and they are tricky at first because most people have never done these before. So they're trying to figure out how to kind of connect their brain to those muscles. But there's, yeah, there's some one where you're in standing and you kind of work on keeping your whole foot on the ground, but kind of using those muscles to lift, lift your arch. So it kind of looks like a crunch for your foot. There are ones that PTs a lot of times will give people for these muscles called towel curls where your foot will be on the ground and you've got a towel underneath it and you kind of curl your toes and pull the talon and that naturally strengthens your toe flexors and your arch muscles. Sometimes you can put like a some small weight on the end of the towel so it's a little harder to draw it in. There are different exercises with therabands where you strengthen your toe flexors as well, like where it kind of hooks on your foot and you push down with your toes. This could also help with the big toe question earlier um, up above, but yeah, there's definitely, and then that tibialis posterior muscle. Tibialis posterior is a muscle that turns your foot in, but when you're standing, it controls arch height. So there are exercises that we give people a lot. There are a lot of hikers and stuff who actually get tibialis posterior tendonitis and they'll have pain on kind of the inside of their shin and down into their arch. So um, yeah, there's there are definitely things out there you can do, but hopefully, I hope, I don't want you to go away thinking that just because you have a flat foot, that's a bad thing. So I think it's always a good idea to strengthen an area. Um, strengthening has the best evidence for protecting against injuries, but don't let, I don't know, you know, don't go away from this with a belief that having a flat foot automatically means you're going to have problems. No, it hasn't stopped me from mountain rescue. So uh, thanks very much. I appreciate yeah. the info. Thanks, Justin. Great question. We have a few new visitors, so we are getting kind of to the home stretch of our Q&A. Every Q&A, we do have the hard stop at the top of the hour. We'll get to as many questions in our remaining time as we can. So just as a reminder, if you want us to dive into your question tonight, make sure you get it in that Q&A board. We're working our way through the Q&A message board in the Zoom feature. So don't put your question in chat. In this remaining time, if you could drop a question into the Q&A board, we will get to it if we have time remaining. We are going to shift to the next question. Next question comes from Lauren. 
Lauren, if you could start to unmute and let us know what's going on. It looks like you are ramping up your running and running into pain in the knees, ankles, and some plantar fasciitis. Yeah, it just kind of seems like every time I start to train before archery and I start running more, it's like, I don't know if it's the impact or if there's things I should be training and preparing for in tandem with that. But I've done the whole like, okay, gradually increase and it's like painfully slow. And then I inevitably come up against pain. And I've just kind of always told myself like, well, you're just not a runner. And I don't really want that to be true. Yeah, right. Running is tricky for a lot of people. Um, I think, yeah, it sounds like that's a huge component is just gradually loading and letting your tissue adapt. So once you've done that, um, you know, I'd say there's probably two other things. I mean, if you're following the mountain tough, you're probably doing some strength work, but a lot of times runners, they'll tell me, oh, I run, I don't need to strengthen. And there's just a big difference between slow, heavy loaded strength training and especially things like calf raises. There's some different, um, there are calf raises we do now that came from recent research where you do a calf raise with your big toe elevated and that targets the plantar fascia more. So there are these things that I would say probably in tandem with your running, maybe two to three days a week, you have these kind of specific strengthening drills to see if they can. And ideally, you know, before the running picks up, kind of having that four to six week period where you're starting to strengthen these areas and kind of get them ready for the running. Even when people do that, sometimes they still run into issues. So the other thing would be um, looking at maybe your running technique. You know, I mean, there's a lot of value oftentimes in kind of hiring a running coach just for a few here and there to kind of explain your symptoms. A lot of times they can visually just pick up on things that you're doing. Like a lot of people who heel strike tend to have more knee pain. So maybe it's switching a little bit more to like a midfoot or forefoot strike. And that's hard to know on yourself. It's nice to have a coach. Sometimes you can pick up on that and help you change your, we try not to mesh with, mess with people's running form too much unless they have symptoms, you know, and if somebody who's had struggled with having symptoms with running, then you start to think about, well, maybe we can change your technique, you know, so maybe like from more of a heel strike to midfoot or a forefoot strike, also playing with things like cadence. Uh, cadence is just, you know, the number of steps you take per minute. There's research showing that if you take more steps per minute and there are apps for this where you can track your cadence and you just try to increase it, by 10 or 15%, it has a huge reduction in force that transfers into the knee. So you can just increase your steps by like 10 steps per minute. And I think it's something like a 30% reduction in force into the knee joint. But you have to have an app where you can kind of track track your cadence, see how many steps are you currently taking per minute. Now I'm just going to try and up that by 10 steps per minute. So it does feel kind of weird at first, like you're taking way faster steps, but it really can help to reduce, um, you know, the pain with some of these running related injuries. But I'd say, honestly, probably the, if you already have some strengthening going, you might just look into like, can you find a running coach in your area and have them meet you at a track for a few runs and just see if there's any pointers and technique changes. Sweet. Thanks, Doc. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks, Tom. That's a great question. We see that a lot in the lab it's super super common and we have just in the last year especially we've spent we've seen a lot of our local mountain tough athletes and folks that are in the lab testing a lot of different programming we've seen we've really seen people take a look at their stride in their heel strike versus toe strike and we have seen a bunch of people this year start to use those cadence apps like tom was mentioning and it's 
it's been a game changer for a lot of people. It, it definitely is a mental discipline challenge because you have to kind of rewire your brain to create a new running pattern. But when people kind of put in that work, it's pretty cool to see the results that are coming out on the backside of that. Awesome, Lauren. We are going to transition to Mike. Mike, it looks like you have a question on the emphasis on workout-specific footwear, uh, cross-trainers, trail, road. So if you could unmute and let us know what's going on. I assume your question is related to, like, you know, squatting and lifting shoes, running and running shoes, but let us know what's going on. Yeah, hey, hey, good to hear you guys again. You know, been on all three of these, you guys just a wealth of information, man. I really appreciate it. You yeah, bet. so the question is, is, is we're talking, you know, prehab, rehab, that kind of stuff. You know, for years we ran on the cheapest shoes we could, you know, because we were in the Army and all that stuff. And now that, you know, we've gotten out and we're getting a little bit older, we can afford a little better shoes and stuff. There's there's cross trainers, there's road shoes, there's there's lifting shoes. There's, I mean, back into this aspect of, you know, kind of, you know, what, what the lady just said prior, prior, prior to me is, is do you put any emphasis on this? For that stabilization, for that, you know, that mut, that foot mapping, all these things, uh, because, you know, a lot of squatting, a lot of press and a lot of uh, knee bends, all these things. And we're talking about the stabilization stuff in this prehab rehab. You think it's worth any time and effort in taking that time to get these specific shoes or is it based upon, you know, technique and how and when and stuff like that? That's kind of where I'm at on this. Over. That's a great question. Yeah. I mean, of course, yeah, for sure. All those other things like the load management, your technique and form, your biomechanics, all those things, but shoes are huge. I, there's actually some cool studies uh, that come out of the military where they just take people and they look at the occurrence of running related injuries in uh, individuals in the military and they will compare. They, they did a study where they took, you know, shoes that were matched to the person's arch height. So like they had a really high arch or they had a low arch. They try to match shoes to them. And then they had another group where they were just like, pick whatever's comfortable. And uh, the people who got injured less were the ones who picked what was comfortable. So I think huh. you, you know, there's a lot of fighting out there in the shoe world. Like, Oh, only minimalist shoes, or you got to wear hokas or whatever. I think at the end of the day, you got to pick what's comfortable. And it's a huge consideration. A bunch of, there's been a bunch of foot questions, running injuries, uh, toe injuries, like, shoe wear is a huge component to think about. And I think you've really got to think of something that's comfortable. And I think you also, the musculoskeletal system tends to get injured when it's in, it's, uh, it's having to go through the same stress all the time. So sometimes you just have to think about varying the stress on your system. And I have a buddy who's a PT who only treats, um, uh, like marathoners and things like runners. He only treats runners, long distance runners. And he's, he does, uh, triathlons himself. And he has seven pairs of shoes and he uh, wears a different shoe every time he runs. And so he's always looking at trying to vary that stress on a system with the exact goal of I'm trying to reduce running, running related injuries by exposing my system to different types of stresses each time I run. Dang. And so that's probably taking it out there a ways. But I do think the primary consideration you want to think about is, are you really comfortable in the shoes you have? And then maybe having maybe you have two or three different pairs um, and you just mix it up and kind of vary that stress. But I think it's a, it for sure is a major factor to consider. I mean, you want to think about the stress you're putting on the system, how much you're stressing your system, what kind of strengthening program do you have? Is it comprehensive and targeting all these tissues? Um, but yeah, then like most of us are training in shoes. So you want to pick something that is comfortable to you. That's going to help reduce running related injuries. And we have research for it. 
so I mean, just to kind of caveat and try to understand and say, so you know, doing them, doing the mountain tough, you know, all the the workouts, that's not a running shoe situation. That would be more of a CrossFit situation or a cross trainer type shoe uh, for a different type of support. And then we don't run on cross trainers because they're going to put ourselves in those different aspects. You know, kind of what you're saying there. Over. Yeah, I agree with that. I think you would uh, in those situations. Like you probably want to try to pick a shoe you know, the shoe that you're lifting in is probably not going to really be built for running. So mm -hmm. I, if you can, I would try to invest in a shoe that's like, oh, this is my lifting kind of training shoe. And then this is, these are like my running shoes. And, and then that naturally is a way to kind of change the stress on your feet. So find something that's comfortable in each of those areas, but is specific to that type of training. Awesome. Hey man, really appreciate it. Thank you very much. No problem. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Mike. Mike, I've definitely gone through that same experience in my life where I used to kind of be a one shoe guy. And then if I look at my life and even the folks around our gym here in Bozeman, you see a lot of people, uh, males and females, they're kind of like three or four shoe people now. So most of us here in the office, we have our favorite running shoe and you'll see people kind of switch that up. Like Tom was saying, like always kind of trying something different as those shoes start to wear out. And then each person usually has their favorite really specific lifting shoe for really specific days. So like a heavy squat or deadlift day, there, there are lifters that make those days feel so much better, especially like on squat where you feel like in a lifting, a specific weightlifting shoe, you are like glued to the ground and it makes your technique feel way better. And then most of us are wearing some sort of cross training crossfit style shoe for like the high intensity workouts where you might do a little bit of lifting a little bit of running and so looking across like our locker room now almost every person has three sets and that has helped us a, a lot like it's really helped reduce injuries it's helped tighten up some technique and so i know it's it's expensive but uh, it's definitely a game changer Great. Hey, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. You bet. We got one final question. We'll dive into this one and then we'll come to a close for tonight's Q&A. The final question is around, Tom, I'll let you dive into this one first. If whoever posed this question could unmute, uh, your name is not identified on the question, but whoever asked this, if you could unmute and let us know a little background info. Tom, the question is just related to the stretch labs that are popping up across the country. Uh, we're seeing them here in Montana. I see them everywhere I go now. So you can kind of go in and get your muscles scraped and stretched. Um, if you could unmute, let us know some background on that question. We'll dive in in these remaining minutes. This participant might be stuck on mute, but we're going to dive in anyways. Tom, what do you think um, kind of about these stretch labs popping up around the country? I think they're kind of cool, actually. You know, I mean, we've got one here just a few miles from my house, and I have a lot of patients who it's kind of like massage therapy in a way. It's like you go in and somebody's stretching you. I mean, there's a, whether you're doing yoga or some other flexibility, mobility practice, there's a lot to that for certain people, like especially if you're a little more on that hypomobile side of the spectrum. In rehab, we're usually kind of looking at people, especially if they come in with like back pain and hip issues and shoulder issues. Like, is this person a little more on the hypermobile side of the spectrum? Like they're very flexible or are they a little more on the hypomobile and kind of stiff? 
for that person who's a little less flexible and stiff, you know, stretching can be really useful. And, um, you know, so as I understand it, the stretch lab, it's kind of like you go and you lay on a table and the person stretches you. And I think there's probably, I think that can be, that could be a pretty helpful complement to the rest of your training, especially because a lot of people, you know, they might know they should do a little stretching, but don't actually take the time to do it. So yeah, I think there's that piece where, um, to me, it is similar to kind of like a massage therapy appointment where you're going in, somebody's working on you. It can be a great, you know, it could be another good, like really good recovery type of, uh, modality in with your training. So I don't think obviously you need to do it. If you're good about stretching, just do your own stretching, but there, it is nice when somebody else does something to you. It's a little different. Like when you have to actively move your body to create a stretch or roll yourself on the foam roller, massage something. It doesn't feel quite the same as like when you just lay there passively and someone does it to you. There's kind of a second part to this question. Thanks for your input on that. The second part is related to muscle scraping. And then there's a third part I'll let you know about as well. But what are your thoughts on some of that muscle scraping? I don't think it's really necessary. There's not really... I mean, some people, once in a while, you meet someone who has a specific kind of painful condition. I'm okay with people trying it, but it doesn't, um, it's called instrument assisted soft tissue mobilization. It, it's just, uh, it's not something that I've ever been really motivated to implement in my practice because I just don't, it doesn't really have any evidence to support it. Um, some connective tissue, like tendon problems, people get worse when you do that to their, it, it doesn't have nearly the research that like strengthening does. Gotcha. So I just, there's way more research to support strengthening, stretching a tissue. Um, if somebody has something that's like a really resistant pain problem, like say they have a plantar fasciitis, they can't get better. Nothing's making it better. I have, have, have had people that went and did scraping and it helped them. Mm. So to me, it's like, if you have something that's kind of resistant, that's not getting better with the kind of more evidence-based things, then it's probably okay to try, but it wouldn't be the first thing I'd go to right off the bat. Yep. And then final thoughts, and then we will come to a close for this evening. But the last question is related to the crossover symmetry for shoulders. And, you know, we see this a lot in Mountain Tough with archery hunters always trying to build and reduce pain in their shoulders. So crossover symmetry versus TRX and, and kind of strengthening your shoulders with TRX wise. And is there one that you see working better than the other? I honestly haven't had, haven't talked to enough people that have the crossover symmetry to know how it compares to, yep. um, like the TRX kind of standard, like that's been around so much longer. I think at the end of the day, for sure, I, there's probably not a huge difference. You know, I think if you're just consistent about strengthening those scapular muscles, that's going to be huge mm -hmm. in terms of keeping your shoulder muscles healthy. So, you know, it could just be even open chain, like you lay on a bench and you use dumbbells and do I's and T's and Y's. I mean, I think the TRX is nice and that you kind of get this closed chain where your hands are fixed. It's kind of more of a closed chain exercise where you're pushing into it, but we have so much research on shoulder health and the value of strengthening your scapular muscles, all those muscles that attach to your shoulder blade. That's really the foundation of your shoulder. Your shoulder blade is just, it's connected only by muscles. It's just floating on your rib cage pretty much. So you want to have good control of your shoulder blade. It's sort of the foundation for your rotator cuff and your shoulder joint. So whatever you choose to strengthen it, um, I think all those things are probably good. And if you were to kind of study like TRX exercises versus crossover symmetry, I'd imagine it's probably, they're both helpful. 
Awesome. I haven't even, I haven't gotten to use the crossover symmetry. I, I don't know. I, but I'm sure it's good. Yeah. We played with both in the lab and we just found ourselves going back to the TRX cause it's always there. It's super simple. And so we'll do a lot of the, the whys and it is crazy how good everyone's scapula is feeling right now. Cause it's just a normal part of our week over the last year is we're seeing TRX wise about twice a week and like shoulder pain has gone so low here in the lab that it has been really cool to see that happen. And then it's nice with the TRX cause we're using it for other things as well. So it's, you know, it's hanging there. You just got to grab it and get going. And yeah, it's been awesome. Yeah. That position where you're up overhead, where a lot of people have issues and then you're doing a closed chain like that. I think there's something really, um, kind of different because a lot of PTs will just give people these open chain ones with dumbbells, but there's something different when you push into that TRX and activate in that way. I think it's a, yeah, it's a great exercise. Awesome. Thanks, Tom. We are coming to the end of our time. Thanks everyone so much for your questions. We really appreciate you all joining these lives. We know it's a busy time of the evening for a lot of folks and we love doing these lives. We'll continue to do these lives. Every single one will have a specific theme and mission behind it. And so Tom's tonight was about prehab rehab and the next one, we're not sure what it'll be. We haven't dove into spiritual topics yet um, with Brian. So we might go that direction um, but we're always open to your guys' feedback. It's about a monthly cadence right now that we're doing these live Q&As. And we love seeing you guys. We love supporting you guys. We love answering as many questions as possible. And we know that a lot of Mountain Tuffers have questions, and we're answering a, a lot of those through support at mountaintuff.com. We're answering a ton of those on social media, and we're answering a ton of those through the app, through the message boards on the videos of the app. So also, if you are not a Mountain Tougher or you are a Mountain Tougher, you want to dive into a lot more of this prehab rehab work that Tom is doing an amazing job at. In Mountain Tough, in the app, it's Mountain PT, and that's where you're going to find Tom's modules on prehab and rehab. He's been out to the lab several times filming that content over the last couple of years, and it is awesome to see how it's helping a lot of people alleviate some of these pain points. Also, Tom is like the king of educational content on Instagram. And so he's not joking when he says every single thing you could think of that might ever hurt. He has a video on on his Instagram account. It is insane. And Tom, Instagram's Rehab Science, correct? Yeah, that's it. Yep. Yeah. So check out Rehab Science. I use it all the time. It is pretty wild how many videos are on his account to help you with some of these pain points. Uh, so he'll show you the pain point that you're probably experiencing, and then he'll show you several prehab rehab movements to start making some of that pain go away, increasing your mobility as well. It's phenomenal. Also, Tom just released a book this year, which was an insane undertaking. It's sitting there behind him on his shelf. Rehab Science is the name of the book. It is available, I'm certain, where all books are sold. And this thing is this thing is intense. It is like his Instagram account in book format. Um, so it's going to cover a lot of the same stuff in way more depth uh, than Instagram, but it's going to show you how to tackle a lot of these mobility projects on your own, 
alleviate a lot of this pain on your own. Um, it is like a PhD level university textbook. I would describe it as just for an example where you're literally going to be able to dig in every single joint and see photo examples of movements you should perform. It's an amazing project, an amazing book. So if you're looking for more prehab rehab information, I would definitely recommend Tom's Instagram and his book. Tom, I know, is busy, but he also answers a lot of DM questions on Instagram. So he's a wealth of knowledge. So if you're still struggling with some pain, uh, that's what I would recommend. And I'll let you close us out, Tom, but uh, we just love you guys, love seeing you on these lives, and, and we'll continue to do that and then look out for it in the podcast store here in a couple of weeks. Well, yeah, man, thanks for having me on. I hope this was helpful to everyone. I know we're just kind of scratching the surface when you're getting into the whole body and different kind of symptoms and pain issues people could be having. But like Dustin said, I'm always happy if you just DM me on Instagram. Um, it's just Rehab Science. I am I can forward post to you YouTube videos. I have a my YouTube account has a little bit longer format for all these same issues. But And then the book, of course, if you need links for anything, just, you know, because it's hard to find things on social media. So just DM me. Don't uh, worry about doing that. Just mention you were in this live and what you've got going on. And I'll just, I'll try to get you in the right direction. So yeah, but thanks for having me. Thanks, Tom. Really appreciate it. Love you, man. And we'll see everyone soon. See ya.